When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jones. Bowden. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four. And England have won the match. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Analyst Inside Cricket. This is a double preview edition because it's all happening in the cricket world. We've got the county championship starting on Thursday and the IPL starting on Friday. And we're delighted to say uh, alongside me, Simon Hughes and Simon Mann, we've also got the, the new captain of Durham, Scott Borthwick, back from the Oval, back to his home territory. He's on the programme uh, today with us, Scott. Uh, actually, you're in Trent Bridge at the moment, getting ready for your first match of the season against Nottinghamshire. And just before we get into the detail, I guess uh, I've got my shorts on because it's reasonably warm in, in the south, and I'm sure Simon has. But you, I guess, have been practising with all sorts of coverings and, and, and clothing on because it's probably been minus up, up north, has it? Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Uh, yeah, we had a net at the Riverside um, yesterday and it was the coldest I've ever been on a cricket field. Uh, we had lumps of snowballs coming down uh, in the afternoon. Uh, luckily for me, I got my net done in the morning, uh, but some of the guys in the afternoon who, who were in the nets got uh, got the full the, the full snowballs on the afternoon. <laughs> oh, God. It's not not much weather for leg spin, anyway. That that's for sure. No, no goodness. goodness. Uh, Simon, I hope you've got your shorts on. I have because the central heating's up high, as you know. In my house, my wife always has the central heating up high, but it's it's perishing cold. It's it's so perverse, isn't it? A week ago, it was about twenty four degrees in London. Of course, the cricket season's starting, and it's and it's snowing outside. I actually saw those that, that clip of of Durham practicing on on social media. It it looked horrendous, Scott, with the with the sort of snow coming down. Yet on you go, your your players were still practicing. Yeah, honestly, that was amazing. I I can't believe the guys actually just got on with it. Um, I think as us Northerners, I think we've got a little bit used to it. And with, with me having four years down south, I think I've become a little bit of a, 
a sudden softy. Um, so I, I think I felt it called a bit more than, than some of the guys. We'll preview the county championship in, in a minute, but just to say a couple of things. Firstly, in the second half of this show, as I said, we're previewing the IPL, which is uh, obviously starting on Friday. And we have as our guest Manoj Badali, the owner of the Rajasthan Royals, which is the sort of most English-centric of the IPL team. So that's coming up in the second half of this show. And also just a reminder that in tomorrow's virtual cricket club, Thursday night is our regular night. We have David Gower as our guest uh, to answer your questions if you want to join our club and also win some memorabilia. Uh, the club is worldsbestcricketclub.com, very modestly named, and you can get to, to it by going to worldsbestcricketclub.com and signing up. We have David Gower this week. We have Geoffrey Boycott on the show next week. And after that, I'm hoping to get Bumble as well, David Lloyd. So some good guests coming up. Uh, but in the meantime, let's uh, focus on uh, today and tomorrow and the immediate future for county cricket. Simon, I interrupted you there. You had a question. Well, no, I was just going to ask Scott how, how he felt it was going to go. And we've got a new uh, structure to the championship this season. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit complicated. Uh, three groups of six, each team in a group plays each other twice. So you get 10 matches in the first round. And then basically, if you finish in the top two of your group, you go into a, another group, a Division One, a new sort of new Division One, and the top two from each of the three groups, and then the threes and fours go into a, a second division, and then the the fives and sixes go into a, a Division Three. Eight points for a draw. Are you in favour of this uh, new system, Scott? How do you see it? Yeah, I, I quite like it to be honest. And one of the reasons why I do like it is because we've actually got a big chunk of, of four-day cricket. So I think we play eight or nine games in about 10, 11 weeks. And they all start on a Thursday, finish on a Sunday. So as, as county cricket is, it's actually quite nice to get a bit of a routine uh, and actually play it in blocks. Because, um, as you know, county cricket's a bit scattered sometimes and as us players, we get a bit, a bit lost in formats and stuff. But like I say, with this time, it's actually quite nice to get a bit of a routine. Um, and I think as well with, with the... the division system in September, it actually gives guys to, something to play for. So obviously we, we want to be finishing in the top two of our division to go on to, to be playing Division 1 cricket in, in September. What if you don't finish in the top two though? Say you do finish fifth or sixth, what, what is the incentive if you're in that Division 3 or if you're in that middle group and you're in, in Division 2 in September? I think it's just a case of when you do get into September, if we are in Division 2, is it's just to try and almost win that and, and try and finish as high as possible in that and, and, and see what happens with the format again the year after because that might dictate which division we play in, in, in next season. Mm. It must be, You must be all so desperate to get going, actually, because that last summer was so truncated and so sort of short-lived and it, it sort of took a long time to get going and then it sort of over before you, you, you really got into it. So, A, you must be really excited to get going and I suppose, B, for Durham having had those relegation issues, um, which were not the players' fault, clearly, because it was all about the finances and being sunk into the second division and struggling to get out of it. This summer, all counties sort of starting from square one, from the same slate, if you like. It must be quite exciting, really. Yeah, it is. And like you said, the the season was... We didn't play a lot of cricket last season. And we've got some guys who haven't actually played a game for... 18 months and it's it's felt like it's been quite a long winter because a lot of the guys including myself uh, normally go overseas like I've, I've spent the last two winters in Perth playing great cricket over there 
So to not to do that this winter, it actually feels like quite a long winter. Um, and we feel like we've had a lot of nets, a lot of a lot of gym, um, doing the, the pre-season ugly side of things, which is also very important. But I think it gets to this time of the year where it gets to the end of, end of March, early April, where it's actually quite an exciting time to be cricketers um, and just desperate to get uh, the season underway. You know what's going to happen, don't you? Is you're going to get all geared up, and then it's going to sort of tip down with rain on Thursday morning and and scupper everything. But I, I suppose um, it, it's just it must be just wonderful to have the opportunity to play and not have that sort of relegation. You know, struggling out of the second division and you know being done with point deficits and stuff like that. You're all starting at the same spot, so actually anybody could win it, which is a nice opportunity, really. Exactly, that's what I mean. I, I quite like the format, and like I say, we. we we're desperately to be playing Division One cricket come in September, and, and that's our that's our goal. Uh, we're in a, a tough a tough group, but if we do want to be playing Division One cricket, these are the, the teams we need to be beating. So you got Essex, uh, you got Essex, Warwickshire, Derbyshire, Notts, and Worcester. And Worcester, yeah, yeah. So it's a tough it's a tough group, but like I say, if, if we want to be playing Division One, we want to be competing with with the likes of, of those teams, and especially Essex, who have been. Uh, were the champions over the last couple of years. What's the morale like uh, in the, the club? I'm, I'm not thinking about, you know, what's happened in the past in terms of points deductions and penalties and that sort of thing. I'm thinking more in terms of, you know, COVID and people not playing and the, the, the difficulties that, that people have had over the winter and not, you know, not being able to go away. And also that feeling of, of county cricket feeling a bit under the pump financially. Um, are, are players worried about their futures? Um. Not, not really sure, but I think from a from a player's point of view over the winter, it's, it's it has been quite challenging at times with with the protocols. Um, we've been in, training in small groups. We've, we've probably only had one session where we've been all together. Um, and from January onwards, we're in sort of groups of fours and fives, which is quite challenging. You know, part of the game we we play is we we love being in the dressing room. We love spending time together. Uh, so that's been quite challenging. But what I would say is the the attitude towards what the lads have been has been fantastic. You know, we've we've just got our head down and, and cracked on, knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and like I said before, it's this time of year is really exciting. I think almost more so now than more than ever because of the lack of cricket we've had uh, and the excitement building up. What were you doing in those threes and fours then? Uh, what what would you normally have been doing? And um, um, what did you what could you do physically in those threes and fours to prepare? Uh, really, it was it was a bit of a a coach, coach's nightmare, I think, because they were doing all the scheduling, and we just get a message on the WhatsApp group on a Sunday and say, like, lad, this is your time slot. Um, so the the coaches were were there all day. They were there from nine o'clock to five, and and the players were coming in at nine, leaving at ten, and another group was in, then another group, and I think it was important we we didn't get to the ground with other people. We were in our little bubbles of of players, and you had to arrive on time and leave soon as your slot was finished so it was it was challenging but also more challenging for the coaches I think because a they had to do the schedules and b they were there all day um so yeah it was it was quite challenging and what what happens now I mean you're you're you know you're a team now so you have to be yeah. together are you allowed to be together the whole time is are there sort of protocols around you know when the game ends what you have to do and and, and that sort of thing yeah well I think the the, the guidelines it was we, we stick to the two meter um guidelines as much as we can the good thing is now we're getting tested so we're getting tested twice a week with a lateral flow test so that's that's quite good and that's obviously 
a good good indication of that we are all okay and, we, and none of us are, have got the COVID. So, so that's a, that's a good sign, I guess. What um you you've had as you said four years at Surrey, and um, what have you what did you learn from that that you can sort of help yourself and Durham with, and who did you learn from? Um, I was very lucky at Surrey. We, we played with some. Absolute greats of the game, you know, with, with Kumar Sangakara, um, Hashimamla last year. So I was very lucky to play with with some top top players, but also some big characters in the game as well. Uh, you know, Gareth Batty, he was he was captain at Surrey for a while, uh, big strong personality, even, and very passionate, spoke really well in the dressing room, uh, and then played under Rory Burns as well, uh, who's a, who was a younger captain when he came in, but completely different to what. Uh, Gaz Batty was um, so just just learning different things from from different players and I felt like I've matured a lot as a, as a person and as a cricketer uh, just by being in, involved in, in in big dressing rooms and and, and winning that Kempton Championship in 2018 uh, playing another Lords final in, in 2017 so just learning how to win and, and not not actually settling for set, uh, second best and, and playing Division 1 cricket and, and playing really tough cricket uh, which is it's something I've been brought up with 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 when I first broke into the Durham side, it was a very strong side. Um, I, I think it was full of superstars at one at one stage. Hence the reason why they did get in the trouble financially. Um, but yeah, like playing with some some big players at Durham, you know, with Farmerson, uh, Onions, Devonator, Benkenstein, Collingwood, you know, some some big players, some big personalities as well. And and playing Division One cricket and, and, and always pushing for for county championships, which is um, almost learning how. To win and learn how to play tough cricket. I, I can remember actually, uh, you, you, in a way, your experience with Surrey will be valuable because I remember myself. You know, I, I, played, I mean, you can see behind me here the the two teams I played with, and I know they're they're rather retro um, kit now behind me. The the Middlesex jumper and the Durham uh, day night kit, <laughs> which does look very nineteen ninety two, uh, but. Um, Coming from Middlesex, which was a very successful county, won the championship four times, and then going to Durham as a, to set it up in a way, and it was quite a contrast. I felt at times Durham, uh, as a team, when we started, lacked a competitive edge. We were sort of just there to make up the numbers almost. So I guess your experience of Surrey and now back to Durham might well be to, to bring in that sort of winning, winning mentality again. Yeah, definitely, and I think the times has changed at Durham over the last couple of years, and they've they've played Division Two cricket, and they, they haven't played or haven't won as many games of as we did a couple of years ago. So I think it's me coming in, and especially being as captain, is the first thing is maybe it's changing that mentality shift is actually learning how to play tough cricket again and, and pushing to play in Division One cricket because. Me as a player, that's all I've ever known. You know, I, like I said, I was lucky enough to break into to a strong Durham side and then going to Surrey and continuing to play Division One cricket and and, and challenging for for honours. So I think firstly, that's probably the shift is actually having that belief within the squad that we are good enough and we, we can compete with with the likes of Notts and Essex and, and Walsh and, and the big boys and, and, and be, to be playing Division One cricket. What about um, one more question about you? Um, what about your bowling? Because you know, you obviously played your test um, partly as a leg spinner, and I guess you were hoping to bowl more uh, at the oval than you actually ultimately did. Um, what what does that say about 
spin and the opportunities, especially for wrist spin in, in the county championship, do you think? Um, yeah, I think a lot of the spin is, is dictated by the weather and, and which then is dictated by the pitches. Um, I, I went to Surrey with purely cricket, cricket motivation. I was a, I'm a top order batter who, who bowls leg spin and I was getting thousand runs as a number three and, and 20 wickets as a, as a leggy. Um, so I thought if I could do that at the Riverside, then I can get get better numbers, get bigger numbers and, and potentially get 30 wickets a season, which then um, improves my stock as a cricketer. Um, and then, yeah, I just didn't didn't quite get the numbers I wanted, whether that was my fault. Maybe I was not bowling as well in, in nets or not bowling well as I would like in games or maybe just trying too hard to impress. You know, we, when I got there, we had Gareth Batty as, as captain, who was obviously a spinner as well in in we had Zafra and Zari as well. So there's three of us who were playing and, and sometimes Bats would potentially underball himself, uh, which then underballed us two as well. Um so yeah, I mean, my 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 bowling's definitely taken a dip and but still at the same time I still believe that I've got the skill set to to be a spinner. Um and to you know that the wickets are in there. I've, I think I've got over two hundred first castle wickets. So this it's definitely there. Um it's just about learning how to bowl those longer spells again and actually being that number one spinner. What I meant in a way was, as well, was is there a role for a wrist spinner given the way that the, the scheduling is done now? Yeah, I think the way spin has been used over the last couple of years is is generally is, there's two roles and it's the first innings role and the second innings role. Uh, the first innings is generally, right, can you give me 10 overs for 20? Can you give me 15 overs for 35? Things like that rather than my my skill set as a bowler is is generally I want to be attacking, I want to be a wicket taker. So it's almost gone against that and almost being used as a fourth innings bowler or not at all. Which I think that's the mentality is of spin bowling at the moment, especially in county cricket. You you very rarely see an attacking spinner. It's generally an off a left arm spinner or, or an off spinner to go right. Give us ten overs for, for give the seamers a rest, and, and I think that's got to, that's the mentality of. I think we've used spinners, uh, which is partly maybe is why I've been underballed. Um, but I think it's that that's just the nature of county cricket, and I think a lot of that is dictated with the weather, which then dictates how the pitch plays. So, I mean, will you will you try and will you try and change that? Do you think? I mean, do you are you intending to bowl yourself a fair bit? I, I hopefully, yeah, I hope so. But again, that just that's dictated on on the pitches. You know, I've just looked at the which the pitch there at Trent Bridge is. A bit of live grass on it, and it's April eighth. <laughs> uh, um, so it's probably verdant green, is it? It's probably you know, ten ten centimeters long grass. Yeah. Yeah, I just asked the groundsman if he's going to take a bit of grass off in the morning, and he said maybe, but he said he fancies <laughs> a day off on Sunday. So I mean, it's not it's not very promising. But like I said, I would love to ball more, and 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 as me as a captain, I would, I would definitely want to to get myself on as much as possible. But at the same time, I have to think about what's best for the team on that day and if, if it's if it's spinning then you know I'll, I'll be first to, to get myself on for sure what, what's your philosophy as a captain what what sort of Durham approach are we going to see under Scott Borthwick um well firstly it's it's my first time I've ever captain like a, this a this standard I've done a couple of great games in Australia and things like that um but I, I feel like I want to try and, and keep playing the same way you know but my nickname's the Badger um, I'm full of energy. Always, generally, have a smile on my face, and um, so that's how I want to, to try and come across. And but also be very competitive. 
um, and, and try and play some tough cricket, but with a smile on my face and um, and try and be calm as much as I can, um, even though I will be stressing like mad in, in my head. But try and give that calm, calm influence and and try and get that over to the to the squad we have. Yeah, I mean you've been playing first-class cricket for a long time now. You're a, you're a very experienced cricketer. I mean, do you, do you feel that sort of a, a real sense of nerves actually on the, on the eve of the season because you are you have got this big role now. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous about tossing the coin tomorrow and things like that. Um, but no, like I, I think it's a lot of it's more excitement. You know, I'm I'm extremely excited to be back at home. Um, it's it's when the decision came about, it was it was an absolute no-brainer for me. I'm, I was I'm so excited to get back, and I think sitting here right now with um, on the eve of the season, it's it's I'm absolutely buzzing. I, I can't wait to get to get started. There's been a, we talked about some of the other change, you know, the, um, the the league change this year. There's another quite a big change, or it's, it seems that it might be a big change. Eight points for a draw. And Joe Root was talking at the end of the India series. You know, we need to we need to have batsmen who can play big innings. We need to have bowlers that can work hard to take wickets. You know, and, and you know, and the draw is a valuable thing. You know, mm. players need to be able to play for a draw. Is is that how you see it? I, mean, I, I saw Paul Downton saying, down at, down at Kent, saying it might make cricket a bit more negative. The county championship a bit more negative. How, how do you see the change from five to eight points for a draw? I, I think it's a good thing. I think four days is a long, a long time to play, and I think it, it is a battle as a mindset. You you almost want to be batting six sessions. You want to try and bat two days, um, and I think that's definitely got to be the method. You're making it eight points for a draw. I don't think that's a negative thing at all. Um, it, I think it teaches you to to try and be a bit more competitive in games and, and try and take it as deep as possible. Um, you know, remember what uh, Gareth Batty used to say, it's, uh, you know, we, we almost want to be winning, hitting the winning runs or taking the last wicket at, at five to six on day four. Um, and that's almost playing tough cricket and, and taking it right right to the to the end and um, and knowing that four days is a long, is a long time. Um, that's with bat and ball. You know, if you're, if you're bowling, you want to be building pressure. You want to be trying to go two and over and, and being smart. Uh, and taking game, taking the game to the wire, uh, and that's and that's no different with the bat. You know, we we want to be learning how to bat 200 balls and for a long mm. period of time and, and getting big numbers. What about the future of the the championship, Scott? I saw um, the, the Telegraph did a a survey and they actually surveyed all the uh, chief executives of the counties, and they they were anonymous that uh, their responses. But see, like nine came back saying that in ten years' time they were concerned that that you know there wouldn't be eighteen first class counties playing, uh, you know, playing first class cricket, playing championship cricket. How, how do you see the state of the game going into the twenty twenty one season, especially with the hundred starting this year as well? Yeah, I mean, I hope that's not the case because for me, being um, like a massive cricket fan as well as a player, I, I love playing the longer format. You know, I love watching Test cricket, love playing the four-day versions. And if I had a choice, I, I'd, I'd rather play the red ball cricket than the white ball cricket. And that's me being a purist and, and being an absolute cricket fan. And um, so I hope that's not the case. And I, and I think a lot of cricket or cricketers think the same as me. You know, you know, there's nothing better than winning a four-day game. You know, you've you've crafted and you've worked hard for four days, and you've you're shaking hands as a winner. I think that's that for me is is, is brilliant. That's why four-day cricket is the best, and I think it always will be. You know, I've heard a couple of of some of the national players um, who still prefer Test cricket, uh, and so I hope that's not the case. Yes, T20 is, is exciting and it's it's fun, and, and the skill level in T20 now or the shorter version has been is is unbelievable. You know. The, Guys who can hit the ball at the park from ball one is just an absolute unbelievable skill set. 
but I think there's nothing better than than the four-day cricket in the Belgoes of five to eleven and uh, the excitement of that. Hmm. Well, how do you see it, yours? The uh, the future of, of first-class cricket. I mean, as a former first-class player yourself, um, I think that ultimately there will be less counties playing first-class cricket. Uh, I don't think there'll be less counties playing the white ball version. I reckon, yeah, I reckon maybe 14 counties, and by the way, I'm sure Durham will be one of them, uh, maybe some counties might ultimately merge just from a financial point of view. I mean, it's, 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 a, lot, it's a lot of resource to keep uh, a first-class team going throughout the season. But I certainly think that ultimately county championship cricket needs to be played throughout the season. I mean, Scott was saying in this conversation, it's nice to have blocks of... Uh, matches being played and I feel sorry for county players now the, the the Red Bull ones that they play a little bit and then they they stop for like two months and then play a little bit at the end so uh, that, that's a real shame so uh, hopefully they can have more um, county championship throughout the year that would that would make a lot more sense um, ju- just finally uh, Scott what about Woody uh, when are you going to see him do you think I should think he's having a bit of a rest but when's he likely to be back for you yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we can get him available. Um, potentially game three. Um, we'll have to speak to the ECB and, and speak to Woody. But I know Woody, he'll definitely be keen. Uh, he loves playing for Durham. He, he loves bowling. Um, but I think it will be the ECB thing with, with what they allow. Um, but last time we spoke to Woody, he was definitely definitely keen to play. But I think it's more likely to be potentially game three, which is the home game at Derby, I think. Uh, so that'd be nice. We I doubt we'll get Stokesy at all this season. Looking at the schedule, um, but another one who loves playing for Durham. If he ever gets a chance, I'm sure he'll be itching to play. Yeah, well, he he'll be stuck at the IPL until at least the end of May, and then it's straight into the international season, isn't it? So you're right. I mean, but nice. It'd be nice to get Woody. Uh, he'll bring that international experience and great bloke in the dressing room as well, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm. And um, sweaters wise, uh, how many how many have you got ready for tomorrow then? Uh, I've got two jumpers on me, um, but the new jumpers this year are not that thick. Um, the last four years at Surrey, we had the old school knitted jumpers, which are brilliant. You get a couple of those on, you're generally all right. But the the, the new dome jumpers are not that thick, which is slightly worrying. So I might have to go two two t-shirts. Uh, two jumpers and potentially two pairs of trousers. It's the hands, though, isn't it? It's, it's the, the hands. hands. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have four hand warmers, two in each pocket. And <laughs> I'll be standing at second slip, and every time the ball is not coming to me, there'll be hands in the pocket. <laughs> God. Well, listen, we wish you the best of luck. And, you know, thank you very much for, for your time today. A very smart uh, location you're in as well, in the the Trent Bridge Museum with uh, some good replica bats behind you there. Uh, you're, you're actually changing in, in the bar or something, are you? Is that right? Yeah, we're in, we're in the long room. Obviously, the changing rooms are, are not in use. So we're in the bar, which is actually quite nice. The, the, it's a massive bar. And because um, I was first in today, I actually got the spot next to the radiator, <laughs> which is quite exciting. I'm pleased about that. Cap- Captain's privilege. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very exactly. sensible. Well, very best of luck anyway. Um, And by the way, uh, for those of you who are listening here, the Cricketer magazine, uh, which I'm just displaying here, the 100th year issue, a celebration issue, has a a two-page spread on every county. You can get to that by going to www.thecricketer.com slash 
centenary for that centenary edition, which also, of course, has the wall chart, the multicoloured wall chart to help you to navigate the season. Every county player will probably have one as well to work out where they are next. Scott, very best of luck. And with my Durham, ex-Durham hat on, I hope you do well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Great stuff, Scott. Thanks very much indeed. Now, as I said in the second half of this podcast, we're going to be previewing the IPL. The 14th edition begins this weekend. And our special guest in the second half is Manoj Badali, who, of course, is the lead owner of the Rajasthan Royals and also co-author with me of a book which came out last September called A New Innings. It's all about the IPL's impact on the game of cricket and actually the business of sport in general. Uh, We started writing it in 20. 18 really in 2019 and then we had to rewrite it when the pandemic hit to make it uh, updated it's been an interesting process writing it I'd learned a lot certainly and what I suppose is interesting about the book is that still stuff that we started writing in 2019 is very relevant to uh, the current game so the the format of the IPL the unpredictable outcomes that it throws up the fact that the design of the tournament means that you're never quite sure who's going to win it Uh, games have gone to the last over consistently Uh, there was only a couple of points that separated top and bottom of the table through most of the delayed tournament in September so that you really didn't know who was going to win it till near the end. The digital explosion that's occurred, which I suppose the pandemic really hastened, uh, the influence of private investment, the impact of uh, the IPL on other world tournaments all that kind of thing is covered in a new innings which you can buy from the website www.anewinnings.com and i suppose manager you know there are unpredictable outcomes throughout the tournament and yet mumbai indians rather confounding the the principles of the design of the tournament the mumbai indians have now won it four times haven't they so i guess if the question is uh does the mumbai indian success confound the you know the notion that we describe in the book, which is the success of the league is based on unpredictable outcomes. I don't think it does at all. I mean, uh, as the team that finished um, uh, bottom last year, you know we played Mumbai Indians. Uh, you know we've beaten them four out of four times. Um, you know in our last four meetings. So I think the beauty of the IPL, which we touch about, which we just touch on in the book, is the design of the league and the fact that at the very essence of that design was uh, was a focus on creating a level playing field. And as you and I, I know, both passionately believe, you know, the essence of sport is unpredictable outcomes. Fans want to see uh, competitive matches, and that's that's one of the core reasons why the IPL's been such a success. What's the most surprising thing for you? The fact that uh, you're still heavily involved in this tournament 13 or 14 years after inception. Yeah. Secondly, uh, the fact that it's been so phenomenally successful. Or thirdly, that a book that you and I have written has been nominated for an award, the, the Cricket Society and MCC Book of the Year for, for this year. De- definitely the latter. Uh, I mean, the notion that you and I could do anything to get together, let alone produce a book. Um, but look, you know, you know better than anyone the objective of writing that book, I mean, that was a sort of 10-year project that started, you know, it was a sort of personal cathartic experience to deal with 
the trials and tribulations because I tell you, staying in the tournament for 13 years uh, has not been straightforward. We've been terminated, we've been suspended, we've had spot fixing scandals, uh, we've had pretty much every controversy you know the game can throw at you. Um, so you know, I wanted to create a record of that, and it was only when um, you know you gripped it uh, with me a couple of years ago, and you know we came up with that notion of trying to unpack the business insights behind cricket and the that um, you know I think it became readable um, and I you know you, you said in your introduction that it feels uh, relevant now I think it's I think it's incredibly relevant now I mean the the pandemic has shone a spotlight on the economics of sports uh, in a way where I just don't think it's ever been discussed by sports fans um, you know whether it's cricket soccer rugby you know whatever your sporting preference is understanding now the business of sport has become uh, has become mainstream and three i remember i think it was two and a half years ago when you and i talked about packaging the stories in a way where we unpack the business of cricket yeah, i remember googling the business of cricket and the business of sport and the only thing you could get were books on sort of hospitality management so i think sport and the business of sport has become mainstream uh, and in terms of your actual question about which of those three are the most surprising they're all surprising i mean you know it's very easy to be smart with hindsight but no one envisaged the ipl becoming as big a global property uh, as it has and i certainly didn't um predict the challenges we would have at sort of simply staying in the tournament and you know as far as the success of it goes last edition for instance the one that was delayed by the pandemic um ad revenue up 20 percent audience figures up 25%, sponsorship through the roof, just uh, the, the narratives every day spinning off uh, off matches and finishes and performances. It has been astonishingly successful, actually. Um, you know, given all the hurdles that it's had to overcome, uh, is that just basically because of the excellent uh, design of it? Or is it is there some other kind of, you know, sort of lucky reasons in a way? I mean, actually, the first thing I'd say is, you know, there's a there's a presentation I used to give many many years ago about the successful company syndrome, um, and you know, while the IPL and the word success typically go in the same sentence at the moment, um, you know, success can quickly change, uh, and, and 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 circumstances can change. So, you know, I've always argued that big companies. Uh, and industries, in fact, are often at their most vulnerable when they're at their most successful because you get complacent, you uh, stop innovating, you stop experimenting, and um, and you know you get a little bit lazy. And so, so while the IPL is deemed to be a success, you know that can change very quickly, uh, and it's really, really important that everyone involved in the tournament um, really does, uh, you know, does continue to innovate. Uh, an experiment um, otherwise others will catch up or you know existential crises like coronavirus which no one predicted can uh, can can really challenge it but you know look there, there are a number of reasons behind why the IPL worked you know one you've referred to a couple of times already which was the sort of brilliance of the design of the league and that focus on a level playing field and uh, and, and the things that went into that like the the player auction etc two was the um the integration of celebrity uh with sports uh so you know 
non-cricket fans in India uh, were as captivated as cricket fans through the presence of Bollywood. But but as ever, you need a little bit of luck as well. And, you know, India winning the first World T20 World Cup, you know, in South Africa in the last over against Pakistan in front of a billion people, um, you know, that's a pretty good launch pad. You also had a, a cadre of Indian greats who were all sort of retiring or coming to the end of their careers at the same time. So you had four or five megastars like Tendulkar, Sehwag, Ganguly, uh, Lakshman, Dravid to sort of build the the, the, the tournament on the back of. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the you know, it, T20 was on the rise uh, and India, you know, had never really had a chance to watch much T20. So, look, there were a number of things that went went for the tournament as well as some, some, some sort of brilliance in its design. But the BCCI, you know, have to take the lion's share of the credibility for, for moving at extraordinary, extraordinary pace to pull it off. On the playing front, um, few changes at the Royals. Uh, Kumar Sangakkara has come in as director of cricket. You've got rid of uh, Steve Smith as captain and he's gone to Delhi Capitals. Also, a big purchase of Chris Morris for something like $2 million. I think a record-breaking uh, amount for an overseas player. And obviously also no Joffre Archer uh, for the first few w- weeks, which which clearly is not the, the Royals' fault. But those changes, can you explain them? The last couple of years have probably, from a cricketing perspective, been the most frustrating for me personally because they've been the first two tournaments where I've really gone into the tournament believing that we had a squad that was capable of uh, certainly competing for the playoffs if not kind of you know making it to the final and yet we finished seventh and eighth and so fundamentally I don't believe we have a um, a playing 11 problem but there's clearly something that we haven't quite got right in terms of the overall um, sort of leadership structure, etc. And it's a complex, I mean, you've been out to many IPLs and it's a complex environment to lead and manage in because you've got this fusion of nationalities, you've got this coming together of um, 30 odd sort of players and coaches where you have to get them to gel in a very short period of time. Uh, and you've got, you know, uh, personalities where you've got 18 year old Indian kids who you know have never uh, you know never been in, been in a dressing room with players of the of the stature of a Ben Stokes or a Steve Smith and then you've got internationals who've got multiple competing priorities so 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 it is a very complex managerial task so we've taken a bit of a step back and said actually we want to look at why we were so successful in in the sort of Raul Dravid era when we had a very clear director of cricket we had a very clear uh, sort of structure uh, and so we try to bring some of that we don't have a head coach this year which is going to be a challenge and we have a brand new captain the decision to uh, let go of as opposed to get rid of which I think was your phrase Steve Smith was a difficult one because you know Steve's been with the franchise for uh, for six seven years now um, and has been a huge part of the IPL uh, of, of, of the Royals and has, has been an extraordinary captain um, that was much more to do with the the playing balance, which is you've got four internationals, you really need to be using two of those in, um, you know, to, 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 to strengthen your bowling and particularly your quick bowling if you can, unless you've got a world-class spinner like, uh, you know, Rashid Khan. 
Um, and we didn't do that last year. We had three of our four internationals batting in the top four, which just, just changes the balance. And that really exposed uh, the weakness of some of, um, or, or the inexperience of some of our fast bowling. Uh, so the Smith decision was about balance. That's meant we've had to you know, try an untested captain, Andrew Sampson, but he's been with the Royals since he was 17 years old. So he knows what we stand for and we think he's someone that can be backed for, for an extended period of time. Um, at the Joffre Archer uh, issue, um, I think, was, was unexpected but expected in the sense that when we went into the auction this year, if you look at the overseas players we bought, they were all overseas quicks because you know, that, that's where you have the greatest risk of injury. And that's where you need the greatest optionality. So everyone's talked about Chris Morris, but we're as excited with the signing of uh, Mustafa Zia, who's got an outstanding IPL record. And everyone forgets we've got Andrew Tai in the squad as well. So hopefully our um, you know insurance planning in the fast bowling department pays off. And Chris Morris, again, people forget, but we brought him to the IPL. Uh, we know him very well. He was with the Royals for three or four years during that very successful period under Rahul Dravid. Um, and, uh, you know, he only ended up at Delhi um, because so many of our, so much of our backbone went to Delhi when Rahul Dravid and Paddy Upton and Zubin Barucha went there while we were suspended. Um, and, of course, Delhi have become a real force on the back of that because they bought players like Richard Punt and Shreya Sire, who um, right now would be royals if, uh, if we hadn't been suspended. How difficult a tournament is it now that it's uh, played A, behind closed doors and B, not at home venues? None of the teams, I think, are playing at home. Your Royals' first four or five games are at Mumbai and then to Delhi. So what impact does that have? I don't know if, I don't know if we know yet. Um, I mean, sort of playing behind closed doors is obviously something all of the cricketers have got used to now. So I don't think there's any... I mean, look, it's the same for both sides, so I don't think there's any excuses there. It clearly loses some of that IPL magic of, you know, Indian crowds, which which you know better than anyone. So you can't pretend it's the same. But what I think the Middle East tournament showed was just how compelling a TV product the IPL is. Mm. I mean, the number of people who said to me, it's the best sport you can watch on tv that doesn't have fans um as long as it doesn't last too long actually and that's the one problem is you know dragging on after longer than four hours i suppose yeah no i i I do agree i do i actually agree with you i think the whole overrate issue and uh time of a match needs to be looked at and that that's one of the one one of many examples i can give you where you know we mustn't get complacent as a tournament we've got to keep keep refining and keep iterating but when you're so successful and everyone keeps telling you you're successful it's hard it's hard to critique yourself but that that's one of many things that I'd love to see uh, love to see change but but you know look it's not the same but you've just got to keep reminding yourself it's a huge privilege that you know the cricketers for the cricketers it's tough right they're in these bubbles but you sort of have to remind them and remind ourselves that it's a huge privilege to be able to get out and play a sport that you love and get paid lots of money for doing it at a time when young kids are locked down. And right now, by the way, the coronavirus crisis that we talked about in the book, and as you know, all the proceeds um, from the sale of a new innings go to the British Asian Trust Coronavirus Appeal. Um, you know, actually, the, the narrative about coronavirus in India in the past four or five months has been, gosh, it hasn't really 
affected India, but actually right now it is ripping through India um, and it's the single biggest risk for the tournament right now. I mean, in, in, in Maharashtra and now up in Delhi and Bangalore, the case numbers are, um, are exponentially rising and pretty much every squad in the IPL uh, has already been affected um, either off field or amongst their coaching staff. So that is going to be the big, big challenge this year, not the lack of fans. It's actually keeping the teams in the bubbles. And what's the contingency for that? Uh, I don't think you can have one, uh, Simon, because, you know, if if the players get it, um, you know, how do you, how do you then... If it gets into the bubbles... Um, it's very hard to have a contingency. I mean, you can, you know, they had the option of playing it again in the Middle East. um, And I think based on where case numbers were two or three months ago, they've decided to bring it to India. They've tried to reduce risk by reducing the number of venues. But even the complexity of four venues, you know, eight teams, 64 games, you know, it's the one thing keeping me awake at night. You've uh, obviously, as a, an English-based businessman and, you know, largely an Englishman, really, um, you've perhaps accidentally, perhaps on purpose, focused on some premier English talent. How's that going? The the sort of almost um, exploitation of the Royals as the English IPL team? Yeah, I mean, look, again, the honest answer to whether it was by design or by accident, is again a little bit of both. I mean, it's always been our aspiration, uh, given not just the fact that we're based uh, in the UK, um, you know, as a as as an ownership structure, um, but also that the UK is such a such an important international market for the IPL. It's always been our aspiration to be, you know, one of the more popular teams here. Um, in terms of picking those players that became the backbone of that World Cup winning side uh, for England, Stokes, Butler and Archer, that was about picking you know, the best players that we thought were available um, to win the IPL. So you know, that, that was not a, it's not been a conscious English-only policy um, because actually there's many risks with picking English players as your overseas contingent, as we've suffered from. Uh, in the past two or three years with availability, etc. And, and the fact that the IPL runs up against, you know, the English international season. Um, but, you know, I think most, you know, most, uh, against most indices, you know, we, 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 we do pretty well here in the UK. There's an academy, isn't there? There's an academy based at Reed School in Surrey now. Yeah, we've got an academy at Cobham, which does uh, incredibly well. Our, in fact, our under-15s, our under-17s and our under-19s play against the county sides and do very well, might I say, against those county sides. Um, so, look, it's going to be something we continue to invest in. But also, we've got an academy now in Dubai, in the Middle East. And the other place you're going to see us very active, um, and we already are active, is sort of the Caribbean and and and, um, and the US. So you'll see a couple of very important announcements in the next month or two uh, around our sort of global expansion in both those parts of the world. Um, and in the US, we're very focused around an academy network. We've actually brought in, as you know, I've increased my ownership of, uh, of the Royals quite significantly. Um, and then shortly over the next week or two, we'll be 
uh, hopefully announcing a further increase. Uh, and some of that is backed by and partnered with uh, some US sports investors because we still think that there's much for us to learn from you know, the NBA and the NFL and those more mature US sports franchises. You know, and our, and our, our plan since 2010 actually has been for the Royals not to just be an IPL franchise, but for the Royals to stand for, um, you know, a global franchise that really stands for innovation in cricket. And so, you know, we've obviously had our off-field tribulations that's distracted us in that, but I think you'll see us um, expand our global franchise quite dramatically over the next year. Uh, you, you mentioned expansion there. Um, obviously, the US is a, is a big uh, opportunity destination. What about England, the 100? Uh, there's talk of eventually private investment, which is a big theme in, in the book as well. And actually, by the way, I'll just mention one of the nice things about the, the judges who are judging this MCC, Cricket Society Book of the Year, uh, that one of their points was they liked this book because it looked ahead. It looked to the future of the game, whereas most cricket books are historical Looking back at the past, this one very much projects forwards. So projecting forwards, the 100, can you see private investment happening in that and also Indian players playing in that, which will help its development? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the 100 is a great step forward for the English game. And, you know, it was not an insignificant challenge to pull it off. So I think the first thing I'd want to acknowledge is, you know, to get as far as the 100 is, you know, is, is, is a big achievement by the ECB. That said, you know, my, my views have, haven't, haven't changed from before the 100 was even conceived, which is one of the reasons that the IPL has been successful is that it encouraged private investment into the franchises. Um, and then some commentators you know, describe me as a passionate advocate of private investment in sport. And I always say yes, but with certain nuances, i.e. Um, I think private investment in the right part of a sport. So I think regulation is as important as private investment. I do think if you're going to launch a new tournament in the same way that if you're going to launch a new product in the business world, you need capital. You need as much capital as you can garner um, because that allows you to invest in marketing. It allows you to invest in the most expensive assets, i.e. players, and it allows you to... Private capital is used to running at a loss. I mean, you know, everyone talks about the amount of money IPL franchises make now. Everyone forgets for 10 years, most of the franchises suffered losses. And that's called investment. And that's called investment because you believe that in the future you're going to get a return. That sort of investment... It's very hard for the public sector. It's very hard for cricket boards. You know, if the headline was, you know, ECB makes a $100 million loss because it launches the, um, you know, the 100, that would get a slating from, from most journalists and most of the media. The IPL effectively made a $100 million loss in its first three to four years because each franchise was losing between $5 and $10 million for a period of time. But that allowed us to pay $2 million for a cricketer. It allowed us to get the very best cricketers. It allowed us to spend millions of dollars on marketing to get the tournament off the ground. And, um, you know, I don't know what the marketing budget is for the 100, but... 40 million, something like that, I think. You know, that again, any, any brand marketeer will tell you 
you know, you need a lot of money to launch a new brand and launch a new product, especially when you're launching it in such a kind of crowded schedule. So, you know, I, 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 I think it's in the hundreds interest to get private capital. People say I've got an agenda, but, you know, I, I said that for years before the tournament was created. I believe it would help the tournament. But I also believe that where that investment goes is really important because I do think the ECB have to retain control, regulation, governance of it, which is why I think teams make a very good place to put that investment. Um, and you know, as you know, my view hasn't changed for, uh, for, 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 for over 10 years. Uh, in terms of getting Indian players, you know, that's not going to happen unless you've got the economics to sustain... Uh, to you know, to be able to pay pay an MS Donny to come over, um, and you know, a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, he, you know, he gets that for a photo shoot. So, um, <laughs> you know, the the the, the hundred has got some natural advantages. It's got some natural advantages, which is the English season is one of the few seasons that doesn't compete with the Indian season. It's one of the few seasons that's got a genuine sort of monopoly. On the on on the calendar, and and most Indians um, are in the UK uh, in 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 June and July, and, and Indian cricketers love love playing in England. So it's got a lot going for it, but um, the economics have to sustain it. Just looking ahead, um, it's the last year that the IPL will be eight teams for the moment. The the talk is ten teams in twenty twenty two. What impact is that going to have on the world game? Because, I mean, there'll be people listening to this still worried about the uh, impact on test cricket and, you know, the fact that players are now uh, prioritising the IPL and, you know, test series are being sort of moved back or shifted to accommodate the IPL. With a 10-team tournament, it'll be even longer. So what do the ICC authorities do to preserve something which I know you're still, you still treasure, which is test cricket. Yeah, look, it's a bit like, you know, it's funny, isn't it, Yours? I mean, this is a debate you and I have had with countless people for, for over 10 years. And, um, you know, this test cricket, this either-or mentality in cricket has to change, right? Which is, it's a bit like the debate about, you know, the high street and Amazon, you know, and online commerce, which is, you know, people are saying, well, you know, we've got to help the high street more. We've got to subsidize the high street more i mean the reality is online shopping is here to stay and the reality is we all do it we all enjoy its convenience um, and we all embrace that technology it's no different with the ipl and with the short form of the game that is the way the game is going that might not be the way that might not be the format of cricket that you and i enjoy i don't think we've missed a first day at lords for 25 years but we're not the future you know, it's the kids that are the future. It's, it's embracing uh, the female audience that's the future. You know, the real competition for cricket is not between Test cricket and T20. The real competition for cricket is, you know, keeping its saliency via the soccer, which is expanding, and other games, which is re- expanding. So as we talk about in the book, you know, the way, the way I think you solve the Test cricket conundrum is you accept that it's going to play a... Um, uh, a smaller and smaller role on the overall cricket calendar because the economics are going to demand that. Uh, and, and fans, at the end of the day, are who determine um, the economics of the game. Uh, and, and if you look at fan attendances at test matches 
outside of the UK, they have been in decline for many, many years. And if you look at fan attendances at test matches in the UK, you know, it's not the same sort of crowds that are going to come and watch the 100 and come and watch T20 Blast. So the future, you know, the, the economics will, will, will prevail. The question, I think, is not, is how do you reinvent the test game to, uh, to make, you know, to keep it? And, and as we talk about in the book, I think there should be fewer of them. Uh, they, you have to look at the stats around the number of games that actually ever make it to five days and ask yourself the question, you know, is the product really diminished if it's four days? Um, you have to ask yourself the question as to, you know, apart from wealthy, middle-aged um, businessmen, you know, how many people can take the whole day off to go and watch a test match? And should we start them later? And should we experiment more with day-night? And you also have to look at other sports like Wimbledon and the Olympics and say, if there was greater scarcity around the test match event, would you actually increase the value of the media rights? So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it has to be an either-or, but if you keep trying to push everything into the schedule, keep playing five test matches, keep playing five ODIs, keep playing five T20s, then ultimately one of your two key assets is going to give, and those assets are your fans or your players. You have to, though, I suppose, and this is the regulator's uh, job in a way, you have to try and protect certain things. I mean, if we, going back to your Amazon analogy, you know, if we just allowed Amazon to take over, high streets would die and, you know, there'd be no sort of sense of community. There'd be no point in living in a village or a town anymore because no one would actually go into them. Uh, so I think, uh, and, you know, you could say... That's where reinvention is so important there, yours, because I, I don't believe high streets are going to die. But I think mm. the role of high streets they is evolve, going to change. They're going to evolve. You know, they, you know, what you get from a high street is going to change. Um, you, know, mm. d- you know, is the high street in the future? Is the high street of the future about where you go to do your shopping, or is it about where you go to get that sense of community, to find your co-working office space? Um, to, 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 is, is it where younger people can actually acquire property at a sensible price? So you've got more of a buzzy nightlife in those high streets. So f- fun enough, high streets. Time. I mean, there's lots you can do with high streets. It, it, it's not about. Mm. Um, kind of, you know, Amazon wins. And by the way, the move to online shopping has not only benefited Amazon, it's benefited thousands of small businesses who who previously couldn't compete with uh, the mega brands of the high street. So, so there's lots of winners and losers in any reinvention. The the IPL and the BCCI do have a a privilege and a responsibility to think about their effect on the global game. I really do. So I do think, and again, we talk about it in the book, but you know, the old Champions League, which was effectively the sort of second IPL, was a great way of giving other leagues greater purpose and other teams the opportunity to earn uh, and share in the economics of that uh, wealth that's been created by the passion for the short-form game in India. So I do, think, I do think we've got to think about that. And it's also not in the IPL's interest for the rest of the game to wane, because otherwise it just becomes... Uh, you know, a uh, a tournament of, of of Indian players, and and there just isn't the supply of great overseas players that allows the IPL to appeal to global audiences. Just one final point, actually, about the evolution of sponsorship in the IPL. Um, so when it started, it was very much 
construction industry, cement companies and so on. Looking at the, the sponsors for this tournament coming up, you've got gaming companies like Dream Eleven, obviously. You've got educational, uh, Bijus and Unacademy, as well as instead of uh, construction, you've got lifestyle uh, companies like Garnier or someone here called Live Space. So that's been an interesting development, which you know the Royals joined in with, with that sponsorship uh, last year of nine, which was... Um, women's tampons. So uh, very interesting the way the, the sponsorship has evolved. The, the broader evolution of the sponsorship, if you like, roster, is a fantastic reflection of the global economy and the Indian economy, i.e., you know, as, as, as India moves from, you know, massive real estate boom that, that, that sort of happened as the IPL kind of came into inception. If you remember the old DLF Maximum, you know, they were a massive real estate company so so real estate cement as you say was the backbone of the brands and w what you're seeing now are brands that literally um indians have never heard of which are using the ipl to launch right so dream 11 um which has now become the dominant fantasy gaming app um with an extraordinary market share was sort of launched on the back of the ipl and and if you are launching a new brand which so many b2c tech companies are doing in India, there is no better advertising platform and launch platform than the IPL. So, um, you know, that's what you're seeing there. The, 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 the other example you referred to, which was the Royals partnership with Nine, that was all about, for us, you know, we decided uh, three or four years ago that we wanted to put sort of social purpose right at the centre of what we did. You know, most franchises do something um, I mean, India as a society still has, you know, massive uh, unmet needs. Uh, we have still, um, you know, we have the largest population in the world living below the poverty line. We have huge challenges with child trafficking, uh, access to education, literacy, etc. And so we wanted to choose a purpose that we thought could become the backbone of what the franchise really, really stood for uh, over the next 10 years. And, and, and that for us is female empowerment, hence the switch to the colour pink, um, hence the focus of our foundation work, hence the first, we're the first IPL team to launch a women's team and a girls team. Um, and that is, that's not going to change, certainly not going to change while I'm the, uh, while I'm the lead owner. And, and as we looked at brands to partner with for the back of the shirt, nine were really interesting to us, not because they actually gave us the most money because actually they didn't um, but it was a really interesting opportunity to use out the privilege of our platform to make a topic which is the use of tampons uh, by young girls uh, discussable and so that's why we did it and actually nine would be the first to say uh, that the extraordinary uptake they've had uh, on the back of that rules partnership um, has meant that they've uh, gone from strength to strength which is great for India. So final thing what are you going to say? I know you're a detached owner. You're not kind of in the dressing room and all that, but and you can't be this year anyway. But what is your message to, to the Royals for this year? Really simple one, actually, which is because of the arrival of two new teams, we've essentially, this cycle has been an unusual one. The big auction should have taken place after, you know, after three years, but because of the postponement of the previous tournament, and the arrival of two new teams. We've essentially been given a fourth year uh, as a squad of players. And the reality is you're 
you know, your squad builds over that three years. Um, and there was a real feeling of disappointment last year. I mean, massive disappointment because we felt we had such a... We were tipped by so many people to do well in that tournament. And we ended up, you know, finishing last, albeit by two points, as you pointed out, uh, you know, in your opening. So you know, my, my, my message is simple. You've been given a free option to have one more year as a squad of players um, to, to actually deliver what you're capable of delivering. So it's a free hit for the Royals for this year, basically. Actually, that's very good, yours. I might even use that. I might use that. It's a free hit to, uh, to show what we can do. And you look at the lineup, even without Joffre, um, you know, it's a pretty good 11. So let's see what happens. Well, that was Manoj Padali, the lead owner of the Rajasthan Royals, a very good friend, actually, and a guy who really cares about the future of the game, but he's got some really interesting ideas as well, and he's definitely worth listening to. And the book we wrote together, as I mentioned before, is called A New Innings, and it's available at anewinnings.com. You can also buy it up on Amazon, but uh, anewinnings.com is a better site because it's cheaper. And don't forget, David Gower in our virtual cricket club, Thursday night, 7 p.m., Sign up to that uh, in aid of the Professional Cricketers Trust at worldsbestcricketclub.com. Really look forward to seeing you there. You can ask direct questions on screen to David Gow, one of the legends of English cricket, and also win sign memorabilia as well. So hope to see you there. Hope you've enjoyed this double-length edition of the Analyst Inside Cricket podcast. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.